0: marker board, don't you? Yeah, it's like why do they get to do the fun stuff and we just have to listen, right? (laughs) That's great. Well, today we finish up sort of a long run. We've been in a series for the last 11 weeks uh, in the book of Colossians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some early Christians in Colossae in modern-day Turkey. This is the last week, so we got to wrap it up well. But the pastor has a challenge. It's after Thanksgiving fade. We've got kids in the room. There's some ground to cover. And I believe there's a word that the Holy Spirit wants to impart to you specifically as we bring things together. Will you pray with me? Our Lord Jesus, we are indebted to your servants like the Apostle Paul for the scriptures that we have that speak into our life instruction as surely as we as parents speak instruction into our children. And Lord, for the letter of instruction, encouragement, exhortation, and challenge that was brought to us through the servant Paul as he wrote to the Christians in Colossae 2,000 years ago, we pray that today that we'll put not only a period to this study, but an exclamation point. Speak to our hearts. Remind us of some truths maybe we've covered, but Lord, we bring it back around to how you want us to remember this letter for our own individual lives. And that that only is possible through your Spirit's intervention into each of our hearts separately. In your name we ask this. Amen. Amen. So whenever there's like a um, uh, an ending time in a series, I know this is true. If we were much larger churches, a uh, much larger church, I would have called up the the video communications department and I'd say, hey, can we do a recap of every week or some of the weeks and just sort of bring it together in a nice video montage? But I pick up the phone and there was no video department. And so uh, there's some way, you know, you you think, well, how do we recapture things from before? Or like if you're watching uh, a series on television or a sequel in a movie, you sort of get some uh, recap of the week before or a recap of the last movie. I'm sure somewhere in the new Star Wars movie that's coming out, there's a little bit of some kind of recap to capture the people that weren't on board with that movie through the years. Or even in school. Is it not true? In school, you'll show back up tomorrow for classes, some of you kids, and and the teacher will do a review of what you had done before in a football game at halftime. Today, they will probably do a recap of the first half in case you came in mid-course or you just wanted to see what happened before. I believe it's important to do recap, to review To remember, because we are, I don't know if we're so forgetful, it's just that we don't retain knowledge, truth that God gives us as well as we should. And it's especially true as you get older. The retention ability starts to just move away from you, does it not? So what I'd like to do is I'd like to do a little recap. I don't have the video crew with a video montage, but I want to just capture some verses From the book of Colossians, the letter that Paul wrote to these Christians, and see if it brings back any flood of memories of any message if you happen to be here. The first comes out of Colossians 1, verse 15. It says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven or earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, first of all, kids, if you're drawing and you're going to try to draw that one, I would like to see your picture afterwards. Do you remember when we plunged into this, and it's really up front, the heart and soul, in a lot of ways, of what, what Paul was trying to communicate was a grand vision of the supremacy of Christ. And you get captured in that wonder. We watched the Louis Giglio video on Laminate. Remember that? And you're like, oh, yeah, the DNA and how God has put us, uh, He's formed our inmost being, and He holds all things together. That laminin was in the shape of a cross. Remember that? Any of you here? Uh, well, a few of you were here that day. That's good. A few of you remember. That's good. I honestly could have taken 11 weeks on the whole section about the supremacy of Christ because I believe we make Jesus too small. We make him too comfortable. But the Christ that we serve, and I'm excited about Thanksgiving, I mean, about Christmas season, no doubt about it, But friends, Jesus is no longer in the manger. And Jesus existed before the manger. He was the supreme Christ, the creator of all things. He incarnated himself in a human vessel. But when he died and rose again, he ascended to the Father. And the Christ as we worship him, how great is our God on a Sunday morning like this, is that God that's referenced in Colossians 1. The supremacy of Christ in all things. And then you better know this verse. If you don't know this verse, I just have fully not done well in this series. Right after that in Colossians one let let's read it together. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is that it's not just for the Jewish people, it's for all people Christ came. And the mystery... Is that it's not just a you know some type of hope that you grab a hold of a religion. It's a relationship, and that relationship is Christ dwelling in you. And we entitled the theme of the series Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then Colossians two six through seven, and this ought to resonate especially with those of you who walked through the ten weeks in rooted that we had. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, way to go, appreciate that, glad you did. Restored, you know but you're just not sitting around waiting on heaven. As you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, that's great. Now you need to continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. It's interesting here on Thanksgiving weekend, if you will, how many times the word thankfulness or thanks shows up in this letter. In fact, we're going to come back and visit that whole concept here in just a little bit. And then Colossians 3, 1 through 4. This is one of my favorite parts of the letter. Because he's telling us about the supremacy of Christ and that it's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. And he says, get your thinking straight. Get your heart in the right order. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And from that transition point of chapter 3, he then begins to tell us, because of this new identity that you have in Christ, what in the world are you doing being involved in certain kinds of behaviors, that's not fitting for who you are. And he says you need to take off the old self and put on the new self. And we find this in Colossians 3 verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. And so we talked about what? taking off the old garments and going to the closet and putting on old rags. No, taking off the old and putting on the new. And the new is who you are as a new believer in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never crossed the line of faith and chosen to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then this is all good news to you. That's written in Colossians. Because this is available to you too. You can become a new person. You can take off the old. You can put on the new. If you choose to let Jesus Christ come and dwell in your life. And so we have a new identity. And so Paul's busy writing away. Or busy texting away like we talked about. To the Colossians that says remember these things. Understand this. This is who you are. Because they were up against some pretty hard knocks. With religious people with naturalist, secularist people, and they were struggling. Are you struggling in your faith? Are you struggling? Are you just sort of holding on? Maybe you need to do a review. Maybe you need to do not a video recap, but a scripture recap. And I pray that the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians is a letter that will be endeared to you for the rest of your life. And it will be a letter that helps you recalibrate where you need to be as someone who is a Christ follower. And if you're not a Christ follower, it will be a letter maybe you can read to say, Oh, I, I want some of the richness of that. I want to know that Supreme Christ. I want to be clothed in newness. Wherever you're at, Colossians is a letter that God ordained through the centuries to not only be written by an apostle who was in prison in Rome to a group of young Christians in Colossae. It was a letter that God ordained for you to have here, here. And sometimes I wonder how often we cast aside or we don't cherish. Ooh, got a microphone there. <laughs> cherish the letters and the instructions and the encouragement that God gives to us. There were five verses last week that I sort of jumped over. And I want to go back and close out now our instructions from this letter, from those five verses. But we're going to find that these five verses encapsulate Some of the whole bridge of what Paul was trying to do. And those five verses are found in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. It says this. Instructions to you and I as we finish out this letter. Here's Paul. And he tells them, devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful and thankful. Being watchful. And thankful. Now the word devote there. Any of you ever played a tug of war game? Kids, have you ever played a tug of war game? If you're looking for a picture to draw right now, don't try to draw me. That's not good. Draw a picture of a tug of war game. And if you have a tug of war game, what do you have? You have a bunch of people on that side. You have a bunch of people on this side. You have a rope that's pulled taut. And what's everybody trying to do? You're trying to pull the rest of the group across the center line. Right? The little flag in the middle usually. And the leader says, All right, everybody, rope tight. Dig in, you know, and you got the you got the big guys in the back, they think that they're really gonna anchor it, so they wrap it around them, they dig it in, oh well we got this, we got this. Right? You got some other people on this side, maybe the scrawny people going, Oh, why am I up? Front? I can't do anything. Right? You've been there, right? Go! And all of a sudden, they start to pull the rope, and they pull it this way, and they pull it that way. And what's everybody doing? They're digging in. They're digging in. I'm pulling it. I'm pulling it. And after a while, something happens usually. Sometimes it's not pretty, but one side usually wins, right? Well, that whole idea of digging in, pulling, holding on tight, is what's behind the word devote. Devote isn't a mamsy-pamsy. Oh, yeah, I think I'll sort of devote myself to a prayer. That's a good idea. Being watchful, that's a good idea. Being thankful. No, the Apostle Paul is saying, guys, because of all this truth, I encourage you to grab a hold and dig in. Dig in. Dig in and devote yourselves to these three things. Prayer. Being watchful and thankful. Yes, being watchful and thankful in prayer. But I want to move us towards three three lists today of four things. Three lists of four things. So you're going to be scribbling away or whatever. I can send them to you. You don't have to write them all down. But I want to talk about what we need to dig into because of the truth in Colossians as we exit this letter. Devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful. And thankful. Now here's the interesting thing about how he closes. He closes in one sense in the same manner that he opens up. Because if you read again at the beginning, if you review how he starts the letter, he starts the letter by saying that he is thankful for them. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says in verse 3, when we pray for you, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you already have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. There is within the heart of this prisoner of the gospel in Rome a deep-seated heart of thanksgiving. The word thanks, thankfulness, whatever, in its various forms, appears close to 180, 200 times in the scriptures. Forty of those times, the apostle Paul addresses the word thanks. Seven times in the letter to the Christians in Colossae, he says the word thanks or thankfulness, as we've seen. He says it up front, we always thank God, the Father. And then he says it at the back, devote yourselves to prayer, watchfulness, and thankfulness. There's something in this aspect of thankfulness. You know, it's hard, it's interesting, when you bring the kids up on the chair you say, what are you thankful for? They didn't say, I don't know, I guess I'm thankful for, I don't know. There is information that's necessary and something tangible that you need to be thankful for. You cannot give thanks unless there is an object of the thanks. All right? And here he points to objects that he's thankful for, faith, love, and hope. Don't those three sound familiar? With this body of Christians. And he is thankful to a person, not just for them and to them. He is thankful to God. Graciousness or a spirit of gratitude is something that's internal that you carry with you. Thankfulness is something you do. Thankfulness to give thanks springs from a spirit of gratitude. But it's an activity, something you dig into and you exercise on a regular basis. He goes on as we recap that whole first chapter a little bit from here. He goes on and he says this in verse 6. All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all the truth. You learned it from Epaphras. Our dear fellow servant who is faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. This gospel that he's thankful for that's impacting and changing people is happening all over the world. It started in Jerusalem and it's spread. And it's continuing to spread. The gospel that's changing and transforming people's lives because it is the gospel of Jesus Christ himself. Verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he talks about being thankful. Then here he's talking about praying. Could it be that it's one letter? It is. See, one of the dangers that happens when you take say a book of the Bible like we've taken and we stretched it out over 11 weeks and we've looked at it and it's microscopicness, we start to pick it all apart, but we fail to remember the context of it as a whole and the context of it as a whole that there is thankfulness and prayer at the beginning and he has concern and hope for these believers and there's thankfulness and there's prayer at the end and that's where we need to end up landing. He says this, though, in verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. And these four elements that were in the first chapter, he unpacked all the way through. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And there it is again. Thanksgiving weekend, I guess it's important. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Let's take that verse, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, and go back and look at how he was giving thanks. And maybe it's some words of encouragement for us. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has clarified, qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light? For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us in the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that's how the verse is laid out there in Colossians 1, 12 through 14. This is what I'd like us to do. I want us to go back now to the end of the letter, back to the devote. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Let's start with the thankful. Then let's look at the prayer, and then let's talk about the watchfulness. I want to talk to you about timeless thanksgiving, persistent prayers, and watchful witness. And we're going to look at these three and just give four bullet points underneath each, and then we're done. Timeless thanksgiving. Remember what I said? You cannot give thanks unless there's an object for your thankfulness. What if we put you in the chair up here this morning? What would have you been thankful for? Well, I'm sure you would have been thankful for some of the same things the kids were thankful for, right? Family, life, love, encouragement. But let me exhort you. If you're a Christ follower today, you should be thankful for, for some deep, rich, eternal kinds of things. And when you read the letter of the Apostle Paul, you're like, whoa, he digs in. He gets it. His devotion to being thankful has depth to it. Does your thankfulness have depth to it? And so here's four truths of timeless thanksgiving. And they're reflected from the passage we just looked at in Colossians 1, in which we're exhorted to at the end. You have been gifted with an eternal inheritance and community. Qualified doesn't mean you earned it. Qualified means that you get to share in it. It's been given to you. An inheritance of the saints. And the saints in Scripture is a word that references Christ followers. It doesn't mean perfect people. It's not all the Mother Teresa kind of people either. It's Ordinary people like you and I, if you're a believer in Christ, Scripture refers to you as a saint. And guess what? You get an inheritance along with all the saints in the kingdom, not of darkness, in the kingdom of light. How many of you... I I won't embarrass you. How many of you know... I won't embarrass you by asking you to raise hands. How many of you know that if you outlive your parents that there's going to be an inheritance that you receive from them. And that makes you smile. Or maybe you're going to inherit a liability. That makes you frown. All right? But there is an inheritance. We think in terms of wealth being passed from one generation to the next, right? Well, I want to ask you another question. I don't care how small or how big it is. That inheritance How many of you get to take that with you into eternity? None of you. None of you. You might get to enjoy it for a few years here. You may pass it on to your kids. You may invest it for kingdom work. I don't know. But the inheritance that you're going to get in this earth, it doesn't go with you. It doesn't. I can ask the funeral home director over here. Do they take any of it with them, Josh? No. There's no U-Haul behind the casket with a hearse. But Paul's saying, here, think on this. Think on this. You are gifted with an eternal inheritance and a community with all the saints. You are gifted with something that's beyond your imagination. And you get that the moment you cross the line of faith to become a Christ follower. So, practice Dig into thankfulness and dig into the truth, the timeless truth of thanksgiving. You are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. I mean, here's Paul sitting in a prison and he's exhorting them to be thankful, and he has a thankful heart. Number two is this You've been rescued from the control of Satan and darkness. For it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Nobody likes to live in the dark. Satan loves for you to live in the dark. He's pulling the wool over some of your eyes right now, getting you to be skeptical, doubt his plans for you. I mean, God's plans for you. You have been rescued from the control of Satan in darkness. Number three, you have been brought into the kingdom of Christ, the one that we just talked about who is supreme over all. I don't know about you and I I do get into political news. Not just US political news, but global political news. Do you realize that there is a great need for a supreme king of the world? All over the place, all kinds of leaders falling short, candidates falling short. There is a hunger, a desire for there to be a righteous supreme leader. And guess what? You have been brought into His kingdom if you're a believer. Now, do you know what happened in in biblical times? If somebody came in to your nation and conquered you, guess what happened? They took the people of that land and exported them back to the homeland of the conquering nation. That's why in Scriptures, right, right, the southern kingdom of uh, of Judah was exiled. Northern kingdom was exiled. The Assyrians took one. The Babylonians took the other. You're like, why did they just take the people? It's like us if we had, you know, invaded a country and said, hey, everybody from that country, you got to come here now to the United States. So people understood this whole kingdom idea and what's happening. So when he says he's brought you into the kingdom of Christ, guess what? He's rescued you and say, all of you, come with me into my eternal kingdom of light and righteousness and supremacy. And you get to go with that group. It's not like a bad thing. I want to be rescued. I want to be gifted. I want to be brought into the kingdom of the eternal Christ. And then the fourth here is that you've been sent redemption that keeps on giving forgiveness. In whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now the first three are in a, uh, a verb, uh, an heiress tense, which means it's done for you. This has happened. This is a part for you. The last one is more in the present tense, which means guess what? Not only do you receive redemption, it's a redemption that keeps on giving forgiveness because we keep on messing up. And Paul's just exhorting them to devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And the first is the four timeless truths of thanksgiving listed. The second comes from verse 3 then that follows on the heels of Colossians 4.2. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So he starts out the letter and he says, hey, man, we're praying for you. We're so excited. Your faith, your hope, your love. And, you know, here's the truth about Jesus. Here's the truth about the old life taken off, put on the new. And then he comes around to starting to wrap things up before he jumps into all the names that we went through last week in the latter part of chapter 4. And he just simply says, hey, pray, pray for us too. Love you, Mom and Dad. Thanks for a beautiful Thanksgiving. You do what? You receive back to them. Love you, too. You reciprocate love. So also you reciprocate prayers one for another. Here are the four places of persistent prayers that come from this passage, I believe. The first is for those on the front lines of spiritual conflict. And pray for us, too. Pray for us, too. You and I can be at the front lines by praying for some of the people who are at the front lines, I believe, of kingdom work. And here, Paul was asking for prayers for himself and his uh, entourage that was around him, some also in chains. And he says, pray for us because it's a battle. Dig in. Devote yourself to prayer for those who are in spiritual places of influence. Remember one of our weeks we had the missionary, Matt Clayson. And he was from what country? Jordan. Working with what group of people? The Arabs. Muslim people. Do you realize that most likely you are not going to be in Jordan on the front lines ministering to Muslims and seeking to... Enlighten them about the beauty of Christ. And by the way, I read an article this week, just some of the underground stuff, just the cool things God's doing to bring Muslims to uh, Jesus Christ, especially some of their disillusionment of what's going on as well. Just powerful stuff. And you name the countries, Jordan, Iran, Iraq, God is at work. You're not going to be there, but someone like Matt and his team are. And you can pray, devote yourselves to pray for people who are at the front lines. Some of you, I'm always so grateful when you pray for me. Sometimes I wonder if I'm at the front lines, but, you know, it's what I vocationally do is I'm involved in the ministry. Pray for those who are in spiritual battle. The second place of persistent prayer is for God-sent open doors of opportunity. That God may open a door for our message. Now, here's Paul stuck in prison, most likely chained to a guard. You know, what's he praying for, that the door would be kicked open to his cell? Eh, it could be, but he's more likely reflecting, pray for open doors of opportunity for the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ to go to all people. Dig in and be persistent about praying for an open door of opportunity. And number three, for boldness despite difficult circumstances so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Now, I find it interesting here that he does not pray for the change of his circumstance. Do you see that? Paul's not saying, oh, man, pray that I get out of here. These, These shackles are so rough on me and the food's terrible in here. He knew he was in prison for a reason, and maybe the open door he was praying for was for the prison guard he was assigned with. He took his lot in life and realized he was on mission in that place. Isn't that so hard for us? And he's saying, pray for God to kick open some doors of opportunity for people to open up their hearts, to be receptive to truth, to be able to be encouraged to be able to look at the trajectory of their life and how it's going south, but that they could see a new day if they chose to follow Christ. Pray for open doors and pray that there would be boldness that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And then four, for clarity. Pray for clarity in presenting the gospel. And you're thinking, this is Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. Why would I pray for clarity for him? If you've ever shared your faith, sometimes it can be challenging because it's all new information to people. And you pray for it to be clear, to be simple, straightforward, understandable. And he's saying, will you pray that I proclaim it clearly as I should? And here's one of the interesting things. When I look at these four places of persistent prayers, you sort of have to pray for all of those as it relates to evangelism and moving some things out uh, into the darkness. You need to pray for open doors, but you also need to pray for courage and clarity. What good is an open door that God kicks open if there is no one with courage and clarity to be bold and to be clear about the gospel? And what good is boldness and clarity if there are no open doors? You need both. And so Paul says, grab a hold of the rope, guys. Let's dig in because things aren't going to go forward. Whether it's in Colossae or in the Temecula Valley, things are not going to go forward unless we devote ourselves, dig in, and start praying that God would open some doors, open people's hearts. And start praying that we might be courageous. Take the steps. Say the words. You've been living the life and loving them for a long time. Take some steps. Be bold. And Pray for clarity. Don't make it confusing. It's about a relationship. It's not about religion. It's about crossing the line of faith and saying, because of what Jesus Christ did, I can have the forgiveness of my sins. I invite him into my life, and he can change your life too. And he wants to give you hope in a future. Start digging in with prayer and place your prayer in appropriate places. Not saying, oh, God, just bless the church today. Oh, God, just reach our valley today. No, you start praying for open doors in your neighborhood, in your workplace. You start naming names. You start praying for God to bring some people into those individuals' lives who are bold, who are clear, And you start praying for yourself to have eyes wide open to discern where those open doors might be. You see, he's finishing out this letter with a strong exhortation. Not for them to do the bunker in mentality. Oh, we're few and few. We're few and fearful. He's saying, get going. Get going. Devote yourselves and dig in. Dig into prayer, being watchful and thankful. So we looked at timeless thanksgiving, took the persistent prayers. I want to close with watchful witness by looking at verse 5 and 6. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So hear these four. Four ways of watchful witness. First, seek discernment with your attitudes and actions. Be wise in the way you act towards others. That's where it starts. Your attitudes, your actions towards others, even those that might be your enemies, God may be working on them and He's going to use you to reach them. Seek discernment with your attitudes and actions. Be wise. Number two, seize the open doors offered by God with others. Make the most of every opportunity. Take the risk. It may be as simple as inviting one of your children's friends to kids' company next week. How did you get there, Bowman? Wait a second. I'm not trying to recruit people. Just come to kids' company. You never know how something real simple can lead to an opportunity for an open door. So seize open doors offered by God with others. Next is speak gracious words of redemption and hope. I like this verse. Let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. Anytime you share the gospel of others, it should be something that comes from a gracious heart, not a threatening kind of spirit gracious and the word salt the word salt preservative a lot so the whole thing of hope that you're giving but salt is like saltiness make sure it's interesting and it has some kick to it you don't need to be boring when it comes to sharing words of redemption and hope and number four Stand on the truth found in the gospel of Christ alone, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I invite Joe and the team to come up. We're going to go back. I'm going to have us sing that "Christ Alone" song as we close, because I know of no other way to really embed everything that the apostle Paul is talking about, but to focus our worship on Jesus. Stand on the truth found in the gospel of Christ alone. This adage is true. If we are proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the answer for people, then he has to have a answer for the place they find themselves in life. Don't ever hesitate to take on the questions, the interactions with anybody that you're witnessing to because you may not know the answer, but ultimately we know the One who knows all things. And so we can point people to Him. I want us to dig in as a church. I want us to grow spiritually. I want us to become stronger. But it's not just for the sake of becoming fat, full Christians like you felt on the other side of that Thanksgiving meal and you just said, oh, i got to sit down, take a break. I think I'll take a nap. That was never the intent of the Apostle Paul when he was exhorting Christians to grow in the faith, to become rooted. It was for the purpose of them continuing on in the ministry. And we have a job to do. We need to be devoted to thankfulness. One, it honors God. Two, scriptures says it's very important. And three, if you're not devoted to thankfulness, you're going to become thankless. And that's a miserable life to have to live with yourself. You devote yourself to thankfulness for all that He's done for you. And then you devote yourself to persistent prayer for Him to use your life and to use others that are at the front lines. And then you take upon yourself the responsibility to be a watchful witness and to be able to share the hope. His intent was not for you to sit around after a Thanksgiving meal of just being blessed to be a Christian. His interest is in mobilizing you and I and us as a church. To carry this gospel still to the ends of the earth until Christ comes. It's in Christ alone that we find our needs met, and it's in Christ alone that the world finds their needs met. Let's sing this song as just a word of thanksgiving and a word of declaration. The ushers are going to come to receive your connection cards as well as the Lord's offering at this time. Let's. Work.